Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Dr. Mike Walden, and uh, we have discussed a number of things already uh, uh, with regards to the economy. We've talked about the debt ceiling deal, and we've also talked about uh, inflation and recession and a general outlook of how things are shaping up in North Carolina. I'd like to move to sort of the international front right now for just a moment. Uh, What effect is the Ukraine war, the Ukraine-Russian war, going to have on not only the economy there, the economy in Russia, and uh, all this these huge amounts of money that the Western allies are pouring into that war effort. How will that affect the way that those companies operate and how it will affect their tax situation? Well, you mean countries? I mean, yes, yes, countries. Um, Well, they're both going to be devastated if this war ever ends. I mean, both Russia, (laughs) Russia, I'm certainly no military strategist, but, um, uh, I'm sure Russia miscalculated on this. They thought they were going to roll over Ukraine in a matter of days, and and now they're back on their heels and uh, massive losses in in, in people. Uh, Russia is now getting hit by drones. Uh, Ukraine denies that they're from Ukraine, but my guess would be they are. Um, if this war ever ends, um, Russia is going to be in a hard place to rebuild their economy. They'll probably be more dependent upon China. And Ukraine will have to rebuild, but my guess is they'll get a lot of help from the West to do that. Um, I think the um, most immediate impact still is in the energy markets. Um, We have a lot of sanctions on Russia, but that has not prohibited Russia from uh, selling oil. They're actually selling more oil than they did before. And you may have noticed, or people, your listeners may have noticed, Saudis uh, just a couple days ago said, you know what, we're going to cut production again because they don't like where prices are. You know, oil prices are much, much lower than they than they had been, which affects the revenues the Saudis have. So that could mean higher prices here uh, over the summer driving season for gas if the Saudis follow through on their cuts. So we're still being impact, impacted indirectly uh, in the energy markets in particular. Uh, some of the food markets are impacted because uh, Ukraine especially was a big grain producer. I think they're still having some issues getting grain out of uh, out of Ukraine. But I think long term, uh, if this war ever ends, there's obviously going to be probably geopolitically, uh, Russia will be much, much reduced as a power. Uh, Ukraine, if, if they win, uh, will they will be enhanced. Uh, the one thing, of course, everyone worries about, will, will Russia give in willingly? Will they negotiate or will they resort to the ultimate fear? and that is to use nuclear weapons. Well, it's going to be certainly interesting to watch, and clearly a miscalculation on behalf of Russia, because, as you said, they were expecting this to be over in a very short period of time. And, of course, now not only is it appearing that it's not going to end very soon, but it appears they may actually lose, and that is certainly not what they anticipated. So we'll have to watch that. Uh, Let's talk about the housing market here in the United States. uh, with uh, mortgage rates sliding up uh, somewhat, uh, or not somewhat, a good bit, uh, how do you view the housing market for the next 12 to 18 months? Oh, I think in 12 to 18 months, it'll be much, much better for, for buyers. I think in 12 to 18 months, whatever we're going to endure in terms of a slowdown or an outright recession will be over. I think in 12 to 18 months, Don, the Federal Reserve will have been probably pushing interest rates down for several months. 
So I, I think that with that time horizon, I think we'll see a housing market much, much more back to a level where activity, especially in this market, in the Raleigh market, in the metro markets, uh, the activity will be much higher. Uh, housing, uh, buying houses will be more affordable. Then the problem will become what we sort of saw before um, things slowed down, that is housing prices starting to go back. We actually had a couple of months, I think, I mean, it was either one or two months recently, where the average house price actually went down. That's because people were not buying and then supply is still coming on. So I think in 12 to 18 months, and this is what I've been telling people, uh, acquaintances or friends or whomever who've said, you know, I really, we, we, my family and I, our household and I, we really need to buy a house. We don't want to do it now with the interest rates where they are. Can you tell me when might be the optimal time? Well, certainly don't have a perfect crystal ball, but I think six months to a year from now, we'll be on the other side of whatever is going to happen. And I think the Federal Reserve will raise lowered interest rates. And I think what people need to do, as soon as those rates come down to a, a level that makes sense for them, whether it be 5% or 4%, I wouldn't get greedy and wait and, and hope they're going to go down to under three. Uh, as soon as that happens, jump on it, because at some point, especially if you're in one of the roaring metro markets in North Carolina, people will get back from the housing market. That'll put upward pressure on prices. So what you want to try to do is time your purchase where you're taking, where you're getting the best combination of the interest rate and the price of the house. Another topic that has been in the news for almost, well, 18 months or so now, is this matter of student debt and mm -hmm. debt forgiveness. Where do we stand on that? Well, uh, the the um, the House and the Senate actually both passed a bill saying that President Biden's plan. Uh, they they were they were voting against that. Uh, President Biden just recently, maybe it was the other day, vetoed that bill. So my guess is that uh, it's going to go to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court is going to rule on whether President Biden had the ability to, um, and I don't know, if forgive is the right word. Um, to, to wipe away uh, that debt, or uh, I think the, the constitutional people say, uh, or is that in the bailiwick of the Congress? Since Congress is the one appropriates money, presidents uh, spend the money and manage the money, but they don't they don't appropriate money. So uh, the, the 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 legal people that I follow, and this is obviously not my bailiwick, uh, seems to be the consensus is the Supreme Court will say, President Biden, you can't do that. If you if you want to wipe away student debt, it has to go through the Congress. The Congress has to pass bills to do that. You can certainly sign them or veto it, but you can't you can't just do it on your own. Well, another uh, thing that I guess everybody is concerned about is uh, uh, interest rates on mortgages, but also interest rates on personal loans and business loans. Uh, they are up and. Uh, right. Um, but still well under where they have been in the past to some degree, because as you and I know, at one point in time, we were paying interest rates as high as 12 to 15 percent. Yeah, this is where this is where a person's age shows, Don, like yes. you and me versus maybe Jason, although I know Jason's aware of things very much. But uh, yeah, I've had several conversations with young people that I see when I go to the gym, I go to the Y in the morning. And I interact with a lot of young people, people in their 20s or 30s. And, and I've had conversations with, in fact, one gentleman I know who, I guess it was about six months ago, he was ready to buy his house. And he said, Mike, this is this is crazy. We have to pay six, seven percent for a mortgage. Has it ever been that high? And I said, oh, yeah, it's been high. I said, uh, when my wife and I were starting to look for a house, 
some almost 50 years ago in, in Raleigh, the mortgage rates were up near 17%. And he thought I was joking. He said, oh, you, they can't be that high. Never were that high. Come on, quit pulling my leg. And I said, no, look it up. <laughs> so yeah, it's all it's all a perspective. Um, I think the first mortgage I took out, we were I think we all, we didn't we didn't buy it at seventeen percent, but I think it was around ten percent. So uh, it could always be worse. I mean, this is a good example, Don, of where what you think is good or bad is depends on your perspective. And the longer you live, <laughs> the your perspective gets longer. So anyway, um, yeah, rates are thirty-year fixed rates around seven percent now. Again, as I said earlier, they were below three percent uh, certainly eighteen months ago. I, I think. Um, I think we may be near the peak, though, on those 7% rates. And as I said, said in response to your question a few minutes ago, I think a year from now, certainly 18 months from now, they will be under 7%. I'm going to switch uh, and talk a little bit about the Social Security system. That sort of creeps in and out of the news over yeah. and has for years about how secure it is, when it's going to run out of money and all that sort of thing. And... Uh, uh, it just depends on how close we are to, to a problem, I guess, is how Congress looks at it. Mm -hmm. How do you look at it? Well, Social Security is not going to run out of money because there are people paying in. But the question is, is the better question is, will Social Security be able to pay what it's promised people that they were going to pay? I mean, you can go online and look up, given your age and your income, you can find out. In fact, Social Security will do it for you. They'll send you an estimate. When you retire, this is what you're going to get. Um, the latest estimate is that I think it's either 2032 or 2033. That'll be the year. It's one of the two. I can't remember which one, but one of the one of those will be the year when Social Security will find it cannot meet those promises. It'll still have money coming in, but it won't have enough money coming in to meet those promises. Uh, and I think the estimate is that something maybe maybe your Social Security payment would be um, 75 percent. I mean, I'm, don't don't hold this, this to me exactly, but it's around this. Uh, at that point, Social Security will still pay retirees, but it'll maybe be 75% of what they were promised they would pay. So, yeah, there's a problem, and we know there's a problem. In fact, we've known there's going to be a problem for years. Uh, this is where you've you got to follow some politics here and making choices on how to fix Social Security. That, it's tough. There are no easy answers. You either raise Social Security taxes more, not maybe not on everyone, or you make some adjustments in when you can get Social Security, but someone's going to yell and scream, whatever this the solution is. And if you're an elected official, you don't like to hear people yell and scream at you. So uh, if you look in, in back in time, usually these things do get fixed, but they're not fixed years ahead of time. They're sort of fixed at the last minute. The best example of this was in the early 80s. We had the same, all, the exact same situation. Social Security was not going to be able to make its, make its promise payments. And this was during the Reagan administration. Reagan set up a commission headed by then Alan Greenspan. This was before he was Fed chair. And they had labor people. You had Democrats, you had Republicans, and they worked out a deal. Actually, we're still working off of that deal. And it was fixed for a short period of time. But now we've got to do it again. So my prediction, Don, is whomever's president, say around 2029 20, or 2030, uh, they will at some point set up a commission and say, we've got to get a commission together because we've got to make changes to Social Security. And they'll, something will be done. It's kind of like what my predicted with the debt ceiling. Yeah, they, they would have a deal. We'll have a deal on Social Security. It's just not going to be anytime soon because politicians don't want to take that heat. 
that soon unless they unless they have to. There are times when politicians love the term kick the can down the road. <laughs> and it happens. Uh, and, you know, we have another, I don't know if you were going to go here. We have a, a similar issue with um, with Medicare, especially. Uh, Medicare has gets its own separate tax receipts also. And um, we have the same situation that Medicare is going to run out of um, enough money to meet all of their obligations. So that'll have to be fixed also. And of course, you see something common here, don't you, Don? The Medicare and Social Security go to older people, and we are still seeing that baby boom generation. I'm part of that. Uh, we're getting into our 70s. I'm there and, and even older, and uh, they're expanding, and they're taking making use of these programs. And so both of them are going to have to be dealt with, Medicare as well as Social Security. Well, uh, that, of course, is a part of the problem. People are living longer, healthier. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, of course, that uh, comes back to perhaps one of the ways to solve the thing is to move the retirement age back somewhat. Uh, I would suggest that they probably need to start hinting that that might happen now so that people can begin to plan. But people course, are healthier. And uh, many, uh, of course, I think there are more people working after 65 now than ever before. I, I'm guessing. I, I look around and at least I see a lot of my friends who are in that age group uh, still working. Of course, if you if you raise the retirement age, you, you run the risk of you get what's happening in France where Macron raised it or wants to raise it from 60 to 62. And you have, I think they just started riding again the other day. So <laughs> I don't think we would do that, hopefully not. But uh, yeah, even something as simple as that, where it makes logical sense, and I think it does make logical sense, there will be a large number of people who push back. Yeah, well, you can't, uh, you can't, certainly can't please everybody when you have a problem <laughs> like uh, both of those uh, those uh, funding uh, uh, models are, uh, somebody's going to have to pay. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden, and uh, we will be back with one final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. We want to talk about the stock market. We've never talked about the stock market with Dr. Walden, I don't believe, but we'll do that when we come back. You stay tuned. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Play in puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. 
We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with a very frequent guest on our program, Dr. Mike Walden, who makes understand the economy and all aspects of the economy very interesting and uh, puts it in terms that even I can understand it. And uh, I hope I'm asking the questions that the listeners want to know about. And one of them, I guess, uh, in this period of time of inflation and recession and talk of those two uh, issues affecting the economy, the stock market, of course, reacts to all of this. So when uh, when will we see the stock market begin to to stabilize and perhaps start a climb back up? Well, it has been trending up, Don. In fact, I, I looked the other day because I was doing an article. I do a biweekly column, and I needed to look at what the stock market's done over the last year. It's actually the Dow's 1,000 points higher than it was a year ago. Um yeah, we had some dips down before the debt ceiling was was uh, agreed to. Uh, it's up today, so uh, it all. But it all depends. Um, uh, the stock. I, I tell people the stock market. It, what the stock market does on any given day, it's like a daily vote on the economy. People are voting with their money, and they're they're voting in part. Now, you know, there there are obviously effects from individual companies and inventions and innovations, but. Overall, if you look at the overall stock market, it usually goes up when people are optimistic about the future economy. They think there's going to be growth. It goes down or it wobbles when you have the opposite. And, and right now, Don, as we, we talked, I think, when we started the program, we've got mixed signals on where the economy is going. And I think that's why you're seeing so much volatility from day to day, because people are reading the tea leaves and there are tea, different tea leaves that are out there that they're reading. Um I um, don't profess uh, and have never tried to um, predict where the stock market is going. I'm one of those people who has a certain percentage of our my, Mary and my portfolio in the stock market. We we don't try to outguess the stock market, um, and we just we invest in a broad category of stocks and 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 sort of let things ride. Uh, that's one particular philosophy. Others others like to gamble, if you will, in the stock market. I certainly wouldn't dissuade that, but I would tell people don't gamble with all of your money. Take to a percentage of that that you can afford to afford to lose. Um, I think the outlook for the economy since the last time we talked has, has improved. If we do have a recession, I think it'll be very, very mild. So that's beneficial for the stock market. I think the stock market has been very happy that the inflation, the inflation rate has been uh, moderated. And they, they think the Federal Reserve maybe will be done raising interest rates. So I would say from from our, my vantage, the vantage point right now, I would say over the next uh, several months, um, stock market will be uh, probably moving more on more days moving up than moving down. And I certainly think uh, you gave me that uh, time horizon, which I loved on of, of, of 12 to 18 months. I certainly think in, think in 12 to 18 months, the market will be higher than that it is than it is now. So uh, a lot of exciting things going on in the economy. Uh, a lot of issues. Stock market tries to absorb all this. And when I say stock market, it makes it sound like there's one entity there. I mean there are obviously millions of people who invest in the stock market. So what it does on any given day is the conglomeration of all that. So um, um, stock market never goes in one direction every time. But I think the long-term trend, long-term using your outline outlook on 12 to 18 months, I think is going to be positive. Another thing that's been in the news uh, on the business page, especially, has been the health of the banking industry. Mm -hmm. um, would you comment on that? 
I think overall it's very healthy. Now, we did have uh, a couple, two, three banks that failed. And, of course, the uh, Silicon Valley Bank was the big one. I think there are a lot of questions there about management, about oversight. Uh, of course, we know why they failed, because they invested a lot of their money in Treasury securities. And now that interest rates are up, Treasury securities are worth less. But we, we fortunately, we did not see that spread. There was not a wide, widespread panic, if you will. Uh, nothing like we had in 2000, uh, 2007, 2008, and, and, and nine. Um, and of course, First Citizens Bank here in North Carolina really benefited because they swooped in and bought uh, Silicon Valley Bank, which I think was a very, very astute move to them. Uh, uh, there is some concern about banking consolidation, but we do have uh, thousands, several thousands of banks still in the country. Uh, there's some worries about, uh, I think, um, uh, JP Morgan is is uh, is the largest bank now, and its uh, its market share has grown. So there are always going to be issues about that. But I think in general, the banking se sector is, is is sound. Uh, we've got backstops. We saw that those bank stops work with work with Silicon Valley Bank, and the I think it was the other two that that uh, that essentially failed. So um, yeah, I don't I don't see any um, I don't see any big uh, red flags uh, waving in the future to, to worry about the banking system. We talked just a little about the international market, but we were talking about it in reference to uh, the support and the expense of the Ukraine-Russian war. Uh, other than that, uh, tell us uh, what countries are in good shape, what countries have problems, and how might those that are having success and those who are having problems affect us here in the United States? Well, I, I think the big issue, at least the one that I'm concerned about uh, in, in the international markets, uh, again, centers around China. I mean, China is really the focus of our concerns about uh, international affairs in terms of Taiwan, but also in terms of, of the national of our international economy. But what I'm going to be very interested to track, Don, over the next several years is to what extent do we want to, and if we do want to, if we're successful, to pull back from China in, in terms of a, of a trading partner? I mean, people know that a lot of what we buy, especially manufactured goods, come from China or um, several other countries in the in the uh, in the in Southeast Asia. Um, China appears not to be really our friend. They're being they're becoming very much more belligerent, and uh, especially over Taiwan. Uh, there's an argument that can be made as, hey, we really financed all this because we bought we bought so much more from China over the last several decades as we as we uh, sent to them. And, and I think there is a move to it's now called reshoring of trying to move some of those industries and some of those companies that may be located outside our country back. Uh, the Biden administration is, is promoting that. The, the CHIPS Act, for example, was was part of that. So I, for me, that's the big issue. And it's really a combination of issues because it's both economic and, and military or diplomatically with China. But for me, it's it's really the center of China. One one solution that some have said is if we're worried about, well, heck, our costs are too high here, we're going to be consumers are going to supplement, is maybe can we shift some of that overseas production from countries like China to countries that are more favorable to us? And, and the one big one in, in the Southeast Asia, I guess you'd call it, would be India. So there's been some talk I've read about in the tech sector about companies, tech companies maybe looking at India 
as maybe where they could base their operations rather than China. But remember, it's 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 easy to say to a company uh, or corporation, "Hey, move your operations out of China somewhere else." It's much more difficult to to do because you, it's you don't you don't accomplish that overnight. You just don't pick up and shut down. And and leave overnight. It's uh, you've got supply chains there, you've got labor there, you've got infrastructure there. It's a it's a very very difficult and time consuming and costly process. But anyway, that's that's what I'll be looking at over the next several years. How our relationships, both economic as well as diplomatic, with China work out. Well, another problem that China has is it would appear that Russia is headed toward being perhaps more of a puppet of China are more responsible to China and more reliant on China than perhaps China wants them to be. Well, yeah, I mean, that's outside my lane, but you know, I worry about, uh, I mean, again, when you, when you talk about these large countries, what you come back and ultimately worry about are nuclear weapons. Even if, even if Russia is defeated in the Ukraine war, they still got massive numbers of nuclear weapons. China has nuclear weapons. North Korea has nuclear weapons, uh, so that's that's ultimately what you what you worry about. Uh, Russia may come out of the may come out of this a devastated country, but boy, they they still got power to create destruction. And 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 I'm not sure. I don't know enough about international affairs to say is it better to have Russia an independent Russia uh, controlling their nuclear weapons, or is it is it worse? And is it worse to have a Russia that is is married to, if you will, China? And China calling the shots because right now it appears we're at loggerheads uh, with China over some over several issues, particularly who's going to dominate um, uh, Southeast Asia and and whether Taiwan is going to continue to exist as an independent country. Well, it's uh, of course this has been going on for a long, long time, and our relations with China seem to be more like a roller coaster. Sometimes we seem like we're on a path to. Uh, considering them a real ally, and then uh, at times it just reverts back to uh, the the problems that we've had in the past. Well, uh, just uh, we've got about two minutes left. So how about sort of doing uh, a two-minute summary of what people ought to be looking for uh, as signs of where we're going on all these issues we've talked about, the debt ceiling, the inflation, the recession, the housing market, uh, student loan uh, forgiveness and so forth. I think uh, the inflation situation, I think, will continue to get better. It doesn't mean prices are going down, but they'll be going up uh, less severely. So that that's a plus. Uh, I think that'll allow more people to get their head above water in terms of seeing their wage gains outrun price increases. But it'll take a while for people to get back to where we were in terms of um, prices versus incomes. Um, I think that um, I, I would keep my eye, I would watch the labor market in terms of signs for uh, that you're going to smile at versus frown at. If we get to a situation, Don, where we start to see, rather than jobs being created, jobs being cut uh, in aggregate, uh, that, that'll be a sign that, yes, we probably are headed for a normal, a bona fide recession. Uh, so, so certainly watch that. And in the same hand, watch the Federal Reserve. Um, Federal Reserve will be meeting in a couple of weeks. Um, I don't expect people to read all the minutes like I do, but you get the headlines. What did they do about interest rates? And what did they say about what they're going to do about interest rates in the future? That's that's certainly going to be that's certainly going to be the key. Um, 
I think if you, obviously, we all live here in North Carolina, uh, certainly try to keep track of what's going on locally in North Carolina. We're still getting businesses come here. We're still getting, we're still having businesses hire. Uh, we still get excellent ratings when we're compared to other states. So that would all tell me that this is still going to be a state that's going to continue to grow and uh, prosperity is going to be uh, expanded. One of my one of my uh, hopes, Don, over the over the next several years is that we see that prosperity get out to more of our counties. I've been doing some work on what I call the down east counties, uh, uh, nine counties that are uh, a center of agriculture in southeast North Carolina. And all of the ones I've looked at is they have seen population declines over the last 10 years. So hopefully that's something we could see turn around. You've left me with just enough time to thank you very much for being with us. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. And uh, hear the entire broadcast or selected sections. We'll be back again next week. So the next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Carolina Newsmakers.